Good morning. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. Hope everyone had a great spring break. Uh, excited to be here. I just wanted to point something out real quickly in your bulletin. Everyone should have received one of these last week if you were here, and they're in your bulletins again this week. Wave it around so that I know that you have it. These are invitations, not for you because you're here, so you already know that we're having service on Easter Sunday, but these are for you to take to work, to your neighbors, to your sports teams, and uh, to invite someone to our service on Easter Sunday because Easter, like Christmas, is one of those times a year when people who would not normally show up at a church service are willing to attend. And one of the things I shared last week that my wife and I have done the last few years is we host a barbecue afterwards. And we've had plenty of friends who say, you know what, I'll come and sleep through the sermon and then I'll come hang out for barbecue uh, because you're going to feed me uh, at, at the barbecue. So they'll tolerate coming to church if you feed them and you have a barbecue afterwards. But guess what? While they're here, they get to hear the story of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So very important. Really want to encourage you to take one of these with you. If you need more, we have more back at the table. You can take as many as you think you'll need. Uh, we'd love to just fill this room and see lots of new faces, people who don't normally attend church, get engaged on Easter Sunday. Uh, so that's, that's all I have for announcements on my end. But I just want to jump in this morning and ask a question. And we've kind of hinted around this a little bit before in one of our other sermons in this series in the book of Mark. And that question is this. What if God is asking of you something that you're not ready to give to him? What do you do in that moment when he asks something of you that maybe you're holding back a little piece of yourself and he asks for obedience in that area. Maybe for you, it's, it's your priorities. Maybe it's your finances, your money, or your marriage, or your relationships, or your purity. What do you do in that moment when you have that little piece of you? Because I'm willing to bet, if you're anything like I am, that you have that little piece of your life that you kind of reserve for yourself. And you say, you know what, Jesus, that whole death on the cross thing for my sins, that was awesome. I love that. I believe in that. I want to follow you. And then Jesus says, well, what about this area over here? And you say, I'll follow you, but I kind of need to hang on to that. I think it was uh, Sam Houston. Or I, I don't remember if, if this is correct, but uh, there was a man who was, who was baptized back in the 1800s. And when he was baptized, he took his wallet and he held it up out of the, out of the water. Because he said, God, you can have everything but my wallet, right? And so many of us do that with different areas of our life. What is that area for you? I'm willing to bet that every single one of us here this morning has one of those areas where we're holding back a piece of our heart. We're holding back some of our willingness. And what are you going to do when Jesus asks for obedience in that area? This morning in Mark chapter 8, we're going to clearly see that Jesus may ask of you something that you're not ready to give. What's your response in that moment? Will you follow him or will you say no? And I, I, I do believe that God has a purpose for you being here this morning. I don't know what your area of, of life that God may be asking you to surrender to him, but I do believe that every single one of us here this morning has an area of our life 
where we've not yet been obedient to God, and he's asking for that obedience. And I, I don't know what that area is for you, but I do know this, that God has a purpose for you being here this morning. You are not here by mistake. You're here because God has brought you here. He is drawing you deeper into relationship. and He wants to work in your life. And here's what I do know. I know that in those places, in those times in my life, when, when God reveals a place that I've been holding back my obedience, uh, I know that that's where he works the most in me. That he really begins to transform my heart. That he really get, begins to change who I am. And, and I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, often it's almost like I hear an audible voice. When God, when I'm walking along, I think I'm doing great. And then all of a sudden it's as if God says, but what about this area right here? When are you going to give this to me? And in those moments, it's like I can hear God saying, Chuck, am I really who you say I am? Am I really God, or do you not really believe that? Because if I'm God, then there's nothing that would be too much for me to ask of you, is there? Are you willing to follow? Are you willing to surrender? Again, I don't know what that area is for you, but I hope this morning, whatever that area is, maybe God has already put something on your heart. Maybe as as I'm talking, you've already thought, you know what, I know exactly what that area is. My question to you this morning is, are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to say yes? Because I believe that in following Jesus Christ, you will find life. You will gain life. Even when saying yes in obedience to Jesus feels like losing your life. Some of you, that last statement sounds somewhat familiar. Maybe you've read it in Luke chapter 9. Well, we're going to look at it this morning from Mark chapter 8. And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And one of the things that we've seen starting last week is really these middle chapters, 7, 8, 9, even into 10, Jesus' ministry really starts to turn. It starts to change the nature of his ministry. Up to this point, he's just been preaching the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. And now he's, he's kind of been avoiding that conflict with the Pharisees. And we saw last week, man, he lays down the gauntlet and he says, here it is. Here's the way it is. This is how it's going to be, and here is who I am, and we're going to see that again this morning. Um, One of the things that we see is that when Mark unfolds, what's going to happen next? That the disciples are going to be caught so off guard, because up to this point, they've been thinking that they're following Jesus, and, and their understanding is that, hey, one day Jesus is going to be king. And so they follow him because his teaching is different than the teachers of that day. He teaches as one with authority. They follow because his life is different than the other leaders of that day. And so they follow him, and up to this point he's been teaching about his his kingdom, and he's, he's taught them about the kingdom that's coming, and he says, when I rule in my kingdom. And so they're under the impression, whether Jesus intended this or not, they're under the impression that Jesus is going to, stage some sort of political or religious rebellion and make himself king. And guess what that means for the disciples? They get to be his little kingly entourage, and they get to rule and have authority and power with him. That's kind of their mindset. And what Jesus is about to say is going to catch them off guard, but Jesus knows what's coming. And he knows that what's coming is not what they expect, and it's going to to hit them so far from left field that he wants to prepare them. And so he begins to warn them. 
This is not something Jesus has really done before. Typically what Jesus does is he just kind of lets things unfold before the disciples, and then he explains later, hey, here's what this meant. Here's why this happened. But here, because of what's going to happen is going to confuse and disorient the disciples so much, he says, I'm going to tell you in advance what's going to happen. And what they're going to see is that although they think that they're about to come into this great power and authority, all of their power and authority is about to be stripped from them. And Jesus is going to ask of them something that they never thought he would ask. Starting in verse 31 of Mark chapter 8, it says, Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and rise after, the third, after three days. So Jesus here is giving them lots of detail about what's going to happen. And you've got to imagine being one of the disciples and you're kind of confused because, again, you've thought that Jesus is getting ready to stage some sort of political or religious rebellion and he's going to make himself king. He's going to become the king and we're going to be his peeps, right? We're going to be up at the top with him. We're going to be right there. We're going to be his homeboys and we're going to get to rule and reign and all that good stuff with Jesus. And so he's, he's teaching this. And it catches them off guard, and they start thinking, well, this, this isn't really what I signed up for. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Jesus, I'll follow you, but this is not what we thought we were signing up for. I didn't see this coming. I don't know if I'm good with this, Jesus. I don't know if this fits into my plan. And Jesus, Jesus very clearly says that he's going to die, but he's going to rise again. Now, this is not a concept that the disciples were unfamiliar with. A few weeks ago in Mark chapter 5, we read about Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. We've got Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. They've seen Jesus has the authority to raise people from the dead. This idea of resurrection was nothing new to them. But what's different about this is that it was Jesus who raised Jairus' daughter. So if Jesus, if you're dead, who's going to raise you up? How is that going to work? I don't understand. This doesn't fit my way of thinking. This doesn't fit what I thought was going to happen. And then we read this in verse 32. He was openly talking about this. So Peter, you got to love Peter. Everybody loves Peter. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. If you know the context of this chapter, you know that just before this, Jesus has asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give all sorts of answers. And then he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, good old shooting off his mouth, Peter, says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, you are right, but don't tell anyone. So Peter, who like three verses earlier has just declared that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, now comes to Jesus and he says, okay, Jesus, um, I know you're the Son of God and everything, and you're all powerful, and you know everything, and you created this earth, but I don't really like your plan. Your plan does not work for me because I kind of like how things are going now. I kind of like that we have this big following of people that are coming around us and they're listening to your teaching and we get to serve them and and they look to us to teach them as well. I kind of like the way things are going. I don't think I like this idea of you dying. It just doesn't fit my way of thinking. I think you should change it. And it says that Peter rebuked Jesus. That, That word rebuke means correction in the harshest form. Correction in the harshest form, and he rebukes him, and he says, look, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but this doesn't fit my plan. 
How many of you can be honest and say, Jesus, I, you've said in your life before, Jesus, I will follow you as long as it fits my plan. Have you ever been there? I'll follow you as long as it fits my plan. That's what the disciples are facing at this point. And then we get to verse 33. It says, but turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking about the concerns, about God's concerns, but man's. You have in mind the things of this life, Jesus says to Peter. He says, look, you have in mind the things of this life, but you were not created for this life. Look around you, Peter. Things are not going the way that God intended them to go. This world is fallen. This system is broken. You're thinking about this life, but you were not created for this life. You were created for an eternal life. Jesus is telling him, look, you need to have a heavenly mindset. You need to be focused not on the here and now, but what's to come. And the only way for, for us to get there, for us to get through this process, is for me to go through the things that I've just done. Satan, the worldly mindset, get behind me. Many times, Jesus taught things that were difficult for people to accept. And I think this is one of those times. What we see in other places is that when Jesus taught something that was difficult to accept, a lot of times you'd read about people turning away. They would say, wow, Jesus, this, this kingdom that you're preaching about, this is great. I love everything that you're teaching, um, but this thing that you've just taught, I've got to eat your flesh and drink your blood? This is too difficult for me. Jesus, you're, you're not going to go and make you be king right now? This is too difficult for me. And what we see is that people often turn away. They say, this is not for me anymore. And they turn away. And they walk away from Christ. And Jesus is right there with them. And they still walk away. Nothing has changed in over 2,000 years. There are people today who say, yes, I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. And I will trust in that. And then they start walking with him. They say, I want to follow him. I want to be his disciple and then he asks something of them that they say, you know what, that's just too much. This is, this is as far as I go, Jesus. I can't follow you anymore. You, you may have saved me from my sins, but this whole purity thing, sexual purity, I can't handle that. Jesus, that's too much for me. You can't have that part of my life. Jesus, I'll, uh, I'll follow you as long as it doesn't involve my money. You want me to sit down and actually think about giving a whole portion of my income to you or to even give sacrificially at times to the point where it hurts? Thanks, Jesus, but I don't know if I'm willing to follow that far. God, you, you want me to, to give up this activity that I love. You want me to give up this little piece of my calendar so that I can make more time to serve at the church or to spend in my front yard just talking to my neighbors, that's too much, Jesus. I'm not willing to give that up. That's too much. And today, even today, people still walk away from Jesus. They leave Jesus because they think he's asking too much. Now, the question is, why didn't the disciples run away? Why didn't the disciples leave? 
I mean, yeah, we know that eventually Peter has his little denial of Jesus, and we all know what happens to Judas. But right now, at this moment, when Jesus says this, they all stay. Why is that? Well, you go back to the previous section, what Peter has already said. Number one, they had, they had seen Jesus work. They had seen him perform miracles and do things. He calmed the storm. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He made the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. They had heard his teaching. One who taught with authority. One who taught as if he were speaking the very words of God because he was. They had seen the way that he loved other people. And all of that led to their conclusion in the previous section that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so they know that he's the Messiah, and so they don't walk away. They stick with him. They stick it out. And here's the thing that kind of, the question that came into my mind this week as I thought about this. If Jesus is really who he said he was, if he really is the Messiah, if he really is the Son of God who came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins and for your sins, and on the third day was raised from the dead so that our sin could be forgiven, If he really is who he said he was, is there anything that he can ask that is too much? The answer is no. The answer is obviously no. There is nothing that he can ask that would be too much. There is nothing that Jesus could ask. If he truly is who he said he was, there is nothing that Jesus could ask that would be too much. Nothing. Will you follow him? Will you follow him? If you believe that he is who he said he is, then everything he asks is reasonable. Everything he asks is reasonable. I know, but it's hard. But it's reasonable. It may be difficult. It may feel like losing. It may feel like death. But it's reasonable. He goes on in verse 34. Jesus has just been talking to his disciples, and now at this point he summons everyone around him. And it says, summoning the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus lays out this threefold idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a one, two, three step method of how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. No, it's, it's all one and the same. You've got it there in your bulletin. If you want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. You must follow Jesus. Again, this is not a one, two, three. This is all one and the same. This is all one and the same. Now, that middle one there, take up your cross. For people in Jesus' day, what you need to understand is that the cross was not something that they would have been decorating the synagogue with. It wasn't something that they hung on their wall to let people know that, hey, this is kind of cool, look at this. They wouldn't have worn it as jewelry or on their t-shirt. The only time someone in Jesus' day saw a cross was when it was being carried by a criminal on his way to his death. And so they very clearly understood that what Jesus was saying is that if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die. Now, for some people, that, that literally means a physical death. But for most of us, it does not mean that we're going to end up being martyrs for the sake of Christ. 
But there are times in our lives when God asks something of us. He asks a place of obedience from us that it feels like death. It feels like death. It feels like a part of us is dying. So Jesus is calling his disciples to surrender to that difficult, painful death of obedience. In verse 35, he says this. He says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? Jesus says this, look, the way you're living, this is clear to me, that you are living for this life. You are not living for the next life. You are living for this life, carpe diem, all that good stuff. Jesus says, it is clear to me that you are not concerned with the things of man, just as he told Peter. And he says, look, this is going to make it even more difficult. He says, you are not made for this life. You are not made for this life. You are made for an eternal existence in the presence of God. Let me ask you, does the way you live reflect someone who's living for this life or someone who's living for an eternal existence with God? If I were to peek into your calendar, your checkbook, your computer history, would I find someone who's living for this life, someone who's living for their eternal life? This is a difficult thing. And Jesus says, when you live that way, when you live with thinking that, oh, I just got to have a bigger house, I just got to have a nicer car, I just got to have more stuff, when, and I got to gain all these things, when you live that way, you're living for this life. Jesus says, I don't want you to live for this life. I want you to remember that you live for the next life. It's obvious by the way you live that you fear death. Now, I don't think many of us in here sit around day after day fearing death. I hope not. Maybe you get in the car behind, with your teenager behind the wheel, then maybe you fear death. Or you get on an airplane and maybe you fear death. But not many of us just sit around and have this fear of death that looms over us. But Jesus says, look, by the way you're living, it's obvious that you fear death. Your only concern is this life. You're not even thinking about what comes next. And it shouldn't be that way. There's this verse in Hebrews chapter 2. It's going to be up here on the screen. A couple of verses. It says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil, right? So the devil is the one who holds the power of death. The devil is the one who holds the power of death and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Did you catch that? Jesus came to set us free from the fear of death. These verses clearly explain that, that apart from Jesus Christ, we are held in slavery by fear of death. If your only hope is in this world, then it makes sense that you would go out and try to buy the biggest house, the nicest car, the newest clothes, have the biggest bank account, have uh, the most beautiful spouse, whatever it may be, the smartest kids, whatever it may be. If you fear death, if if what you're concerned with is this life and this life alone, then those sort of things would make sense. 
If this life was the only thing that was important to you, then pursuing those things makes sense. But Jesus says, I don't want you to live for this life. He says, I want you to have an eternal perspective. I want you to be looking forward to your next life with God. Jesus has given lots of detail about what's coming up. His disciples are confused, and he says, Look, I want you to live as if your hope is in the next life, not in this one. He calls them to an eternal perspective. He says, Look, I know this sounds crazy, but saving your life means giving it away. Saving your life means giving it away. If you truly want to save your life, you must give it away. You must carry your cross. I'm asking you to die. Not a physical death, but one of obedience. One that you may have something in your life that you're holding back that giving it up would feel like death. That's what Jesus is calling us to. I don't know what area of your life shows your fear of death. I think most of us here would have one of those areas. Perhaps it's your finances. Perhaps you're holding on a little too tightly to that bank account. When God is calling you, he's asking you, will you give just a portion? Maybe it's your time. Maybe you fill your calendar so full of all the things that you want to do and all the hours of TV that you want to watch. When Jesus is saying, hey, just give me a little bit of your time. Just give me five minutes a day. Just give me 45 minutes in your front yard so you can talk to your neighbors. Just give me one hour once a month so you can serve in children's ministry. Just give me one hour a week so you can get connected with a community group. Maybe it's your purity and your marriage. God is saying, look, I, I need you to give this area to me. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm willing to bet. I'm, I can almost guarantee that every single one of us here has an area of our life that demonstrates that we fear death. As I thought about that this week, I thought I was doing pretty good. Um, I thought I was doing all right. You know, we drive old cars that are beat up. Um, we are building a house. We're excited about that to put down some permanent roots here in Georgetown. Um, but we didn't buy the biggest most expensive house that we could find. We, we bought one that was reasonable. So I'm like, hey, yeah, we're doing, we're doing pretty good. You know, I'm wearing old clothes, and I don't know how old, you know, this pair of socks is, but they got holes in them. So I'm doing pretty good. I'm not living for this life. And then God said, hey, Chuck, what about your children? And I started thinking about my kids who are getting older. They're only four, and Evie, little Evie's now six months but the triplets are four, and I started thinking, man, you know what? There are times that they're not with me. There are times they go to their grandparents' house, or they go and hang out with friends, even if it's just in the other room. Not all of their friends talk the same way they talk. They've got choices to make. And I realized that my fear of death is demonstrated in my fear of control with my kids. Well, pretty soon, they're going to be heading off to school. I'm not going to be with them every minute of every, every day saying, okay, do this, don't do this, get your finger out of your nose, no, don't put it in your mouth. I'm not going to be there with them to help them make all those decisions, to help walk them through, hey, I know your friends use this kind of language, 
But what happens when you use this kind of language? Do mommy and daddy want you to use that kind of language? I won't be there to walk them through all of that. And for me, that was hard. That was difficult to realize that this little piece of me, I've been holding back and God is saying, Chuck, you've got to trust me with your kids. I want you to trust me with your children. Know that I've got them. Honor me in the way you bring them up, but then you've got to trust me. What is that area for you? What is that area of your life that truly demonstrates that you do have a fear of death? That Jesus is saying, look, I want you to gain by giving. I want you to gain life by losing this area of your life, losing your control over this area. When you surrender that control, when you obey me in this area, you will gain life and life to the full. What is that area for you? I think the, the hardest thing, the hardest thing is to follow in that area of obedience where God is really working on you, where you've been holding it back. But I believe that when you do that, God will draw you so close to him that when you look back, you'll say, I can't believe I held on to that for so long. I can't believe I was unwilling to let that go. Look at how much more I've gained because of that. The disciples had to let go of their understanding of who Jesus was, their understanding of what was going to happen with Jesus. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just call us to die ourselves. He doesn't just say, hey, take up your cross and follow me. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll show you how to die. I'll show you how to live a life of obedience to the point of death. Follow me. I'll go first. That's what Jesus says. Because Jesus knew that death was not the end. And the disciples, as they probably thought back to Jairus' daughter, remember what Jesus said? He said, she's only sleeping. Death is not a period, but a comma. Right? It's not the end. It's just like going to sleep. And then you're in the presence of God. We have no need to fear death if we follow Christ in obedience. Jesus says, follow me. I'll go first. As we prepare for our, our take two, I just want to encourage you to live as if death is not. That's what Jesus says. He says to us, look, live as if death is not because it isn't anymore. I've taken care of that. Your life does not end on this earth. You've got so much more life ahead of you. As we close this morning, I I want us to take two, and I I want you to answer this question honestly. God, what is the area of my life that I've been holding back from you? What piece of my heart am I holding back? Maybe for you, you just need to spend time evaluating yourself, saying, okay, if someone were to look at my life, Would they really see someone who's living with an eternal perspective or a temporal perspective? Do I have in mind the things of God or the things of man? What is my answer to that question? If someone were to look at my calendar, my checkbook, the TV shows that I watch, the way that I talk to my spouse, what is that area for you? Right now, I just want us to take two and ask God to reveal to us what area he might have us surrender. Take two.
pray with me? Father, we pray that you would reveal to us that little piece of our heart that we're holding back from you, and that you would give us the strength, the courage to say, yes, I will follow you in obedience, Lord. I will surrender this piece of my life to you, knowing that you have gone first. You've shown us what it looks like to gain by losing. Lord, may we follow you and die to ourselves in these areas. May we take up our cross and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.